0: Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... Daddy! And who could forget... Well, the good news is is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped.
1: Listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse.
2: The funeral of Queen Elizabeth II is watched by over 29 million Brits on television, making it the single most viewed national distraction since Titgate on Love Island. Speaking from a gold glitter held aloft on the groaning backs of the poor as a weeping and shivering state pensioner fumbles caviar into his mouth with a silver spoon, the Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, denies that his mini-budget is unfair. Thousands of Russian men attempt to flee the country as Putin announces a partial mobilisation of up to 300,000 military reservists. Still, it's nice to see Russians peacefully pouring en masse across a recognised international border for once. And finally, a coroner rules that yet another customer of Pret-a-Manger died as a direct result of eating improperly labelled food, as the chain continues to pursue its goal of becoming the only deli franchise in the world with a higher body count than Jeffrey Dahmer. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News, the only topical podcast that chews up the week's events before processing them through the bowels of the multiverse and then shitting them out via the bumhole of weaponised sarcasm. Or at least we would be, were it not for the fact that we can't actually afford to turn the dimensional gate on until we get that promised discount on our energy bill. And besides, things are so ludicrously fucked right here in our own Britain this week that we should probably concentrate on that a bit first. Monday, of course, saw the state funeral of the Queen, marking the end of ten days' worth of national mourning and the choking restart of Liz Truss's thoroughly stalled political engine. She's a Prime Minister who has made it perfectly clear she's willing to be unpopular, and who boy does she appear to be a woman of her word on that front at least. It's barely been two weeks, and Truss already looks about as comfortable on the green benches as a young male Tory MP forced to sit in front of a drunk Chris Pincher. That she's been desperate to stamp her authority as a force for change on the collective foreheads of the Westminster bureaucracy has hardly been a surprise, however. Even during the great dead man distraction of the last two weeks, there have been worrying signs that Truss intends to bend even the supposedly impartial civil service to her will. One thing that hasn't changed under her, however, is just how much gossip leaks out of number 10, and it's gossip that now trickles down straight into the waiting mouth of IC News. To that end, we now cough up for your consideration some exclusive leaked audio that sheds some light on the new relationship Liz Truss is attempting to forge with the civil service.
0: Prime Minister, welcome home. Who are you? I'm your new personal aide, Prime Minister. I served the previous administration and I've been a civil servant here at Downing Street for almost a decade. It's a pleasure to meet you.
1: It's a pleasure to meet you too. My name is Liz Truss. I'm 47 years old. I live at 10 Downing Street in London. I'm five feet and seven inches tall. I have blonde hair and blue eyes. I like cheese, pork markets, expensive photo shoots, and my favourite thing in the whole wide world is economic growth. Pork markets.
0: Oh, um, okay.
1: I didn't kill her. Sorry Prime Minister, what was that? Nothing. So, you're a civil servant, are you?
0: Yes, ma'am, that's correct.
1: You don't work at the Treasury, do you?
0: No, ma'am. I work here at Number 10.
1: Good, because I fire civil servants who work at the Treasury, you know. Even if they've been there ages. We're all about growth now. I have a vision, you see, and it's very important that my vision stays in the right tunnel. Don't you mean stays on the right track, Prime Minister? Did you just correct me? Because that is a disgrace.
0: I prefer to think of it as offering impartial advice.
1: Port Markets, you should ask Tom Scholar what happens to civil servants who correct me. Do you just say I say perhaps just fine, thank you very much.
0: Of course. Look, I, um, I do apologise if I've done anything to offend you, ma'am. It's my hope that we can work closely and effectively together, and I assure you that I take my commitments to advising the Prime Minister very seriously.
1: Well, good, because I very much value all the advice I receive, provided it comes from the European Research Group or my old friends at Shell. How much money have you got?
0: Money, Prime Minister?
1: Yes, how much are you worth?
0: Well, I make a slightly above-average Westminster salary. Uh, My wife and I share a mortgage on a house in Watford.
1: So you don't have shares in fracking companies or run your own hedge fund?
0: Um, no, ma'am.
1: I really don't get why I should be taking your advice, then. Poor markets!
0: Bless you, Prime Minister.
1: Thank you. Here, take this.
0: Gladly, ma'am. May I ask what it is?
1: It's your new handbook on how to effectively advise the Prime Minister and her new cabinet. If I absolutely must listen to what you think, you're going to have to read it. It's going out to everyone in the civil service, so watch your Oxford commas, please.
0: I think there may have been some mistake, Prime Minister. (laughs) This appears to be a single piece of paper with the words Agree with everything I say written on it.
1: Check the fine print at the bottom. Ah,
0: that bit says... Or else?
1: Marvellous. I'm glad we understand each other. Now, it's about time we started to unchain Britannia, don't you think? It's time to get Britain moving and get back to true, blue, conservative values.
0: Excellent, Prime Minister. Item one on the agenda today, of course, is how do we approach some of your policy promises from the leadership race? Now that you're Prime Minister, we obviously want to reach out to the country. Oh, that's easy
1: enough. I'm not changing anything. I meant all of it. Tax cuts that favour the wealthy, increased borrowing, scrapping the working time directive, leaving the European Court of Human Rights, bringing back fracking and binning some of our animal welfare and environmental protections. All of it. Oh, and don't forget continuing to pick a fight with the EU. And if none of that works, we're going to straight up kill the poor with hammers. That tested very positively at the Hustings.
0: Prime Minister, may I be frank?
1: You can be anyone you like, so long as it isn't Rishi Sunak.
0: <laughs> I do respect your desire to move away from some of the recent populism, but I think pursuing every single massively unpopular policy platform you can think of might be overcorrecting the ship uh, a little.
1: I see. You're fired.
0: Yes, ma'am, I rather thought I might be.
1: Pork markets!
0: Bless you, Prime Minister. I'll go and clear my desk.
3: Uh, 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 Markets!
2: (laughs) Of course, the biggest political story of the week here in the UK came on Friday, with the arrival of the new Chancellor's vision for the British economy. Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget was anything but offering one of the biggest and most unbalanced tax giveaways of the last 50 years to the nation's wealthiest, all in the hope of fertilising the butchered rosebush of economic growth that's been so effectively pruned back by a Brexit that's clipped 4% or so off the nation's GDP. The immediate response of the free market was for British stocks to tumble and the pound to freefall to its lowest point in decades – Two fabulous indicators of those high levels of investor confidence, the new Chancellor is now desperate to court. Here's Tom King with more. Quasi Quarteng's mini-budget. That's
4: what we were promised, and on Friday it turned up for its Tinder date with the country tens of billions of pounds heavier than its profile picture and cheeky little moniker implied. But the new Chancellor is a gentleman who would never dare to objectify his budget on something as crass as her gross numerical figures. So he point-blank refused to publish a forecast for the UK's economic outlook alongside it, despite the Office for Budget Responsibility providing him a draft of one. His new budget may be far more bloated than the UK would normally fancy, but clearly the Chancellor thinks the only decent thing to do is to force the country's eyes shut and order us to jump blind into his fantasy clusterfuck. And really, when the lights are off, what's the difference? Even the most grotesque mess feels like it could deliver some growth if you just use the power of your imagination. And let's be frank... For this budget to feel anything but hideous, you need a lot of imagination. This fiscal event is nothing short of the most outrageous handout to the already rich the UK has seen in decades. There's a huge amount of cynicism from all corners that it'll do anything to deliver the kind of growth Kwarteng envisions. And the Chancellor's announcement on Friday immediately saw the pound plunge to its lowest point in nearly 40 years. But what this budget definitely will do is load the country up with debt just as rising interest rates see the cost of servicing those debts explode. The promised cuts are skewed horrifically in the favour of Britain's top earners and there is next to no extra relief for those who are going to find paying annual energy bills now capped at two and a half grand next to impossible. This is the budget of a Tory party that has completely abandoned any pretense of fiscal prudence and is the passion project of an unhinged Chancellor now completely contradicting his former self. In the New Statesman in 2008, Kuateng said, Herein lies madness, about the prospect of the then Labour government potentially borrowing its way out of a recession. And back then, national debt was significantly lower than it is now. And here's the really mad bit. Even if it does turn out that Kwarteng is the most visionary chancellor in history and this budget somehow works, delivering the sort of growth that rebalances our broken economy, it can only possibly do so by proving in the process that the last 12 years of conservative fiscal policy has been a complete failure. It is genuinely and profoundly bad batshit, and the single biggest gamble any Chancellor has made with our money in years. We were all expecting politics to roar back to life after our 10-day period of national mourning, but even by that high expectation, the last week has been absolutely fucking mental. The Trust's administration seems utterly determined to Twitch stream a speedrun attempt at a full economic collapse while simultaneously pissing off just about every possible demographic in the country. First, Therese Coffey's plans for the NHS were widely derided as a laughable shambles. Then Jacob Rees-Mogg actually came out as pro-earthquake and called anyone who likes stable ground beneath their feet a Luddite Then the government were forced to quietly admit that the big American trade deal the Brexiters promised us was years off, if it would ever happen at all. Oh, and the Trust government also made it very clear that they intend to brief the media first and follow the parliamentary process later, just as brazenly and disgustingly as Boris Johnson did. This budget was just the dreadful climax to the absolute fucking of Britain's prospects – an ideological handout to the Tories, mates and donors and a resounding go fuck yourself to the rest of us. Turns out that Kwarteng doesn't just laugh at the Queen's funeral, he's also having a real giggle as he buries the entire economy. But all of that might just be the underlying genius of the savage politics at the heart of this particular Tory party. They are perfectly aware of how badly they're suffering in the polls. And there's every chance this budget will cripple the country's finances just in time for the Labour Party to win power and find itself forced to raise taxes to pay for it. So this gamble either pays off at a miraculous speed and Quarteng and Truss become the economic heroes they ludicrously see themselves as, or it fails spectacularly. And when that happens, Labour get handed a chalice so thoroughly poisoned that it will send their first government in almost 15 years into spasm. In the grander scheme of the never-ending two-party cycle, it's almost a win-win, just, you know, only for the Tory party, while the rest of us suffer the enormous social and financial cost. Quasi Quarteng promised us an end to redistributive economic policy. What he's offered is just the opposite. He's parking yet another bin lorry full of our cash at the doorsteps of the wealthy, all in the name of the proven fallacy of any of it trickling down. This is Britain in 2022, everyone where, in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, when fuel bills are skyrocketing and the pound is sinking through the floor, our government looks us in the face and orders us to say thank you for a fucking trickle. (sighs) I'm Tom King, reporting for IC News. Just very funny, this is a gamble,
3: though, isn't it,
0: It's
4: not a gamble at all. It's not a gamble. So what is a gamble is thinking that you can keep raising taxes... And getting prosperity, which is clearly not working. And that's why I'm delighted
2: to have been able to reduce taxes across the piece this morning. Speaking of being signed up to a political agenda nobody voted for that may well end up killing thousands of people who thought they were on the verge of a comfortable retirement, we now look to the war in Ukraine. Having suffered a humiliating setback as his invading forces were pushed back across huge swathes of occupied territory. Vladimir Putin announced a partial mobilisation of his country's reservists this week. Up to 300,000 Russians are now being conscripted to fight on the front lines in Ukraine, with Russian soldiers now going door-to-door in four occupied regions to encourage residents to vote yes to joining Russia, in several referenda that have been widely derided by the international community as obviously fraudulent. The developments this week are a huge and disturbing escalation of Russia's military ambitions in Ukraine, with Putin warning that he may well escalate to the use of nuclear weapons should Russia need to defend any territory it stakes a questionable claim to in the coming days. Some of the reaction in Russia has been one of horror, as young men have attempted to flee across the country's borders in an attempt to avoid the draft. Widespread protests have also been seen in Russian cities, with over a thousand people arrested, with some of them then served draft papers to fight in the conflict. Journalists in the Russian media, however, have been understandably tight-lipped about the extent of the opposition to mobilisation, and our own Russian correspondent is no exception.
3: friends, It is I, Alexander Notterbot, brave frontline reporter of special military operation in Ukraine, and definitely not covert agent of security services. Having successfully documented great tactical Russian retreat, phase one of inevitable victory, I am now back home in Motherland, enjoying peaceful break from journalist duties. That noise you hear in background is sound of great Russian people coming together to shout in one voice that they love and support President Putin. Is definitely not enormous protest against mobilization, no matter what you hear in biased Western press. (laughs) That's it, friend. Thanks for signing up. Into the van and off for a lovely tour of peacekeeping duties you go. It is crazy, Western friends, that your media would tell such lies when Russian air is so filled with jubilation. It falls, once again, to little old me to bring you truth behind vile propaganda as President Putin moves to bring swift and peaceful end to rise of violent Nazis in Ukraine. Well, I say Ukraine. What I mean, of course, is Russia in waiting. For soon, True democracy will spread across beautiful breakaway provinces as they embrace the motherland. And all this will happen under careful eye and loving security umbrella of newly mobilized patriot forces. It's a great day, fellow countrymen. Victory is at hand. Nid! You'll throw that shit at me and I'll cave your goddamn face in, traitor! Fifteen years in gulag for you! (laughs) Such high spirits here in Moscow. It's lovely to see such support for noble aims of Russian military. In no way is horrendous reality of conscription finally starting to nag at mind of civilian consciousness. And why would it? Russia is one of most well-equipped and efficient armies in the entire world. This latest wave of soldiers will have full support of innovative new Russian supply chain. Arming men and sending them to war is so, how you say, old hat. I mean, can you imagine carrying own gun all the way across Ukraine border? What is this, the 70s? Such needless busy work. It's much better and more sensible to arrive in Ukraine in own prison pajamas, march straight to front line and just pick up gun and uniform from Russian cops that is already there. It's very important that war... Um, I mean special military operation is sustainable and recycling is at heart of Russian effort. You think a of cocktail is going to scare me, you little bitch? I just spent six months getting my ass shot at every day in Lufansk. You're going to need to do better than that. <laughs> Honestly, these new recruits, so keen to jump in to serve the motherland, it brings a tear to my eye. One that... <laughs> <coughs> Definitely not caused by clouds cloud of tear gas. <coughs> now blowing back in my direction. <coughs> it's, it's fine. <coughs> it's, it's fine. <coughs> Step back a bit, boys. Friendly street barbecue is getting a little smoky. So, in conclusion, Western friends... News of mobilization and new referenda in Ukraine regions Is nothing to worry about Besides you cheeky British hypocrites I thought you loved referendums And believe me There will be no awkward 52-48 split In Russian push for fresh democracy Russian referendum Is always decided on 110% vote yes All completely legitimate and above board Best maths in modern world And once Ukraine territory is welcomed back into Russian bosom, all bets are off. I'm sure you will agree that we can accept no violence against Russian citizens, even ones we have installed by force in puppet republics. All of our new recruits are filled with the spirit of great coming Russian victory and will fight to defend the new motherland with the same spirit and conviction our passionate forces have shown so far. And whatever rocks they can pick up, because God knows we have fuck-all supplies left. Uh-oh, it sounds like party is getting a little boisterous for old Alexander. Time to go home and get an early night. Sergei, one more van load of protesters for the front line, and then we're out of here. Quick, double time! Thanks for listening, Western friends. As always, it has been pleasure to bring you Russian truth rather than distorted lies of mass media. I'm Alexander Notobot, driving a truck full of furious reservists to the border, reporting for Ice News.
2: That thoroughly unbiased and completely impartial report brings us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back next week with some more breaking news and proper grown-up expert anal cysts. Sorry, analysis. What's wrong with this auto cue? But until then, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. Suella Braverman writes to UK police chiefs to tell them to stop with the symbolic gestures and concentrate on their jobs. The new Home Secretary reportedly wrote the letter in between Daily Mail articles, blaming woke trans-vegan lefty lawyers for her department's total failure to stop small boat crossings. The former American president, Donald Trump, and three of his children are sued by the New York Attorney General over claims the Trump Organization artificially inflated the value of its properties. As a morbidly obese man in his mid-70s, artificial inflation is also now the only way Trump can fuck a porn star he then has to pay off. The Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia personally intervenes to secure the release of five British prisoners of war, as Prince Andrew frantically takes notes on how a clearly evil royal can rehabilitate his public image. And finally, after controversy erupts over his victory over Magnus Carlsen, chess player Hans Nyman insists he will play naked to prove he is not a cheater, meaning we might soon get a close-up view of his Zugzwang. And there we have it, Sam, the cleverest joke you'll ever write, and it's for six people on the internet. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye.
5: Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with the right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes, and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though. This deal is limited to the first 500 patrons, and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show, and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.